Well, good morning, everybody. I always wonder um, on the first week of spring break if everybody's going to, if anybody's going to show up, you know, because I hear about everybody being out of town. And then put on top of that, time change. So thanks for being here today. You know, I'm glad you're here. And uh, we actually had some people, in spite of this time change, even show up at the 930 service, believe it or not. <laughs> Bunch of overachievers, you know. But uh, thanks for being here. When I heard everybody was going to be out of town for spring break, I thought, is anybody going to be at church Sunday? So you're here. I'm excited about that, and I'm excited about our topic. Um, Have you ever said anything stupid before? (laughs) Sounds like I'm in good company here this morning. (laughs) Maybe something so stupid that as it was coming out of your mouth, you were thinking, I'm going to regret saying this. Many years ago, um, my boys and I had a little family lawn mowing business. Um, it gave them a part-time job, and it also provided a little extra income for our family. Well, as they got older, they got involved in their activities, and I found that I was mowing more and more by myself because they were busy. And at one time, we had 20 yards that we were supposed to mow. So when you're mowing those by yourself, it can take a long time, especially when you already have a full-time job as a pastor. So one week, my wife, Janet, graciously offered to mow with me, and I took her up on the offer. So we went out to mow together. And this will not surprise you if you know me, but I have a plan when I go to mow, and it's this, like if two of you are mowing, um, you both start mowing, we have two separate mowers, and then about at some point, I would stop and I would get out the weed trimmer from the truck, I would start trimming, and then when I was done with that, I'd get the blower out, and I would blow the grass off the walks and off the driveway, and my goal was that as soon as she was done finishing up the yard, I would be done with what I was doing. Well, I had just finished blowing off the driveway, got the grass off the driveway, ready to move on, and sure enough, I hear her coming around the back of the house. She'd finished up in the back. I thought, perfect timing, you know. She had a self-propelled mower, so she's driving that thing around to the front, and she drove it right onto the driveway and blew grass all over the driveway. (laughs) Now, to be fair to Janet, she didn't know my plan. I don't even think she knew I had already blown the grass off the driveway at that point. But it was a stressful time of life, you know, trying to keep a full-time job as a pastor, mow 20 yards. This was going to slow us down like one whole minute Why I had to get the blower out and blow the grass off. So I looked at my wife and I said this, I expect that out of the boys, but not out of you. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, it got a groan in the 930 service too. Yeah. Yeah, I actually said that. As those words were coming out of my mouth, I knew I was going to regret it. Now, you'll appreciate Janet's response. She didn't say a word. She simply turned around and walked off, got in her car, we had driven separately, and drove off. (laughs) And as she drove off, I knew she was not going to mow grass with me anymore that day or ever again. Now fortunately, I have a forgiving wife. And when I got home that evening, which by the way was way after dark because I was mowing grass by myself all day long, she actually had supper prepared for me. So 
So I appreciated that, although I did let the kids take the first bites just to make sure. <laughs> Have you ever said anything that as the words were coming out of your mouth, you were thinking, I'm going to regret this. I'm going to pay for it. I wish I wasn't saying this. Never could that be more true than it is for the Apostle Peter. Now, we're in a series right now that we're calling Man in the Mirror. It's based on the life of Peter. And it's a fascinating series because Peter had many times in his life where he had to look himself in the mirror and ask penetrating questions. One of those today, one of those questions today we're going to look at that Peter had to ask was, can God forgive me? Now, when I think of Peter, I think of a disciple or a follower of Jesus. I think of a leader. I think of a fisherman. I think he was strong both emotionally and physically. In fact, when I picture Peter, I picture this broad-shouldered, ripped kind of guy, you know. He was feisty. He was strong-willed. He was tough. He was opinionated. And at times, he put his foot in his mouth when he said things. But one thing was for sure. You did not mess with Peter. Last week, when Josh was teaching, we saw Peter at his best. If you were here, you'll remember that story where Jesus, in a profound in a moment, asked his disciples that profound question. He says to them, who do people say that I am? And Peter, of course, was the first one to speak up, and he said these words, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Peter nailed it. I mean, high fives, you know, from all the disciples around. You're right on with that, Peter. In fact, Jesus was so impressed with what Peter said that he changed his name. He said, Peter, and by the way, up in that time, he was called Simon. He said, we're not going to call you Simon anymore. We're going to call you Peter. And the Greek word Petra, Peter, means rock. So Peter now had the name rock. And guys, as you know, if you were nicknamed Rock, that's a good thing, right? That's flattering to be the Rock. Um, any of you know Dwayne Johnson, the movie star? His nickname's The Rock. Check this out. Yep, there you go. Yeah, if somebody calls you The Rock, that's what they think of, right? I kind of think of Peter when I see that picture. Maybe minus the tattoo, I don't know. But it's a good thing to be called a Rock. And we saw Peter at his best moment. This morning, we're going to see Peter at his worst moment. When he said something so stupid that not only was he going to regret it, but it could have defined him for the rest of his life. Jesus was arrested. And Peter was following along after he was arrested. And Jesus had told Peter before he was arrested that Peter would deny even knowing him. And Peter's response was, Jesus, no, never, ever, ever would I deny that I would know you. And he meant that from the bottom of his heart. And Jesus said, no, Peter, not only will you deny me once, not only will you deny me twice, you'll deny knowing me three times. And I think Peter was upset with Jesus at that point. I mean, he said, there is no way, Jesus, I would die for you before I would deny you once, let alone twice or three times. Let's read the story. Matthew 26. Here's what it says. Verse 69. Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside 
the courtyard, a servant girl came over and said to him, you were one of those with Jesus the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't even know the man, he said. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And he went away, weeping bitterly. Wow. What do you do with that? And it says, he wept bitterly. Some of you have been there, haven't you? And you know what that feels like. And you would give anything to hit the reset. If only you could go back and live that moment, that hour, that day, that statement, that reaction, that decision over. But you can't. It happened. It's out there. It is what it is. So are you defined by your worst moment in life? Was Peter. I know what some of you may be thinking. You know, I've ruined everything. I destroyed my relationship with my spouse. I gambled our savings away. My addictions cost me my job. My kids may never speak to me again. My parents will never trust me now. I betrayed my best friend. I'm an embarrassment to my church. I tainted my reputation. I've broken God's heart. How could I ever recover from my failures and find hope and purpose? Is there any way to rise above my embarrassment, my remorse, my shame, and find peace and joy again? Can I ever think about the past again without having these overwhelming feelings of regret and sadness consume me? I have good news. No, you don't have to be defined by your worst moment in life. Your regrets and heartaches do not have to dictate your future. And you can look to the experience of Peter to find hope. The Bible is a book that tells the story of failures. It's full of failures. Page after page after page tells of people like you and me who have failed miserably. Courageous people who wilt under pressure. Sincere, well-meaning people who blow it big time. Strong people who crack when stressed. Faithful people who weren't so faithful. People caught in the spin cycle of addiction. People who wrecked relationships, cheated, lies, used their friends, and disappointed God. People who thought they were all washed up, they'd gone too far, they'd really done it this time. And I'm telling some of your stories too, aren't I? I'm also telling Peter's story. How could it be any worse? He denied even knowing Jesus, the person he'd given up everything to follow. Not once, not twice, but three times. Then 
His failure is recorded on the pages of our Bible for all of us to read for the next 2,000 plus years. Now, how could he find hope? Could he be restored? Could God forgive him? And Peter had to look himself in the mirror and ask a penetrating question. Now, knowing what Peter did, would you not agree that if God can forgive Peter, then he can forgive you too? Let's turn the page on this story quickly and look at a story of hope, of restoration, of renewal. It's a story of second chances. And I believe one of the reasons we see so many stories in the Bible, so many stories are recorded for us of failures, people in the Bible who fail time and time again, is to show us that God can enter our world, our failure, and restore us and give us hope. Peter was, of course, absolutely devastated by what he did, the way he failed Jesus. There's another account recorded of this very same story in Luke, another book, another gospel written about Jesus. And it says that the third time Peter denied knowing Jesus, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. They made eye contact. I think that just ripped Peter's heart out. I bet he'd lie awake at night, and all he could see in his mind was Jesus looking at him in that moment. Not angrily, but with sadness and disappointment. That's worse than anger, isn't it? What do you need in a moment like this? What would put you on the path to restoration? Well, for one thing, forgiveness. Forgiveness from God. Next, continually reminding you yourself of what you know to be true, that you are forgiven. And you also need purpose. Forgiveness from God looks to the past. Reminding yourself of what you know to be true is in the present. And purpose looks to the future. And Peter found all three of these. Peter did the only thing he knew to do after he had blown it, after he had failed Jesus. He went back to fishing. And one of the best stories in the Bible is found in John 21 because it's a story of forgiveness, of restoration, of purpose. I'm going to read you part of it. This is John chapter 21. I'll start in verse 1. Here's what it says. Later, Jesus appeared to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out into the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw your net on the, other, on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Now, if you were here for the first week of our series... When we were looking at Luke chapter 5, where in, in this series, Man on the Mirror, where Jesus and Peter first met, Jesus did a very similar miracle. You may remember that. So this had to feel very familiar to the disciples at this point too. And they knew immediately what was happening. Let's keep reading. This is verse 7. Then the disciple Jesus loved, that would be John, said to Peter, It's the Lord. 
When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he'd stripped to work, jumped into the water and headed to shore. Sounds so much like Peter. (laughs) The other stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooked over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to shore. There were 153 large fish, yet the net hadn't torn. It's interesting that Peter was the one who jumped out of the boat and swam to shore when he realized it was Jesus. You know, not only does that sound like Peter, but after what he had done, denying that he even knew Jesus, how was Jesus going to react? And how was Jesus going to treat him? But by the way, Did you notice as I was reading that John, who wrote this book, records that there were 153 fish in the net? I just smile when I read that. If you're a fisherman, you understand why he wrote that, right? Because fishermen always keep track of how many fish they catch, right? Especially the keepers. And then he tells us that they weren't just fish, but they were large fish. You go, yep, that guy was a fisherman, wasn't he? But why did he record that for us? I actually have no idea, but maybe it's to make a point. John was a fisherman by trade too, and he may have never seen 153 large fish in just one net. And his point is that what was happening at that moment was a God thing. Now what happens next shows us what kind of God we have. Peter views himself as a failure. He thinks he's blown it big time. Never again will he be able to be used by God like he once was. He lives with regret. He goes to bed thinking about it. He wakes up with it on his mind. Several times a day it surfaces in his mind. Have you been there? Maybe some of you are there now. But Jesus wants to restore Peter. Jesus wants Peter to know that he's forgiven. Jesus wants to give Peter's life purpose. So look what happens next. Back to John 21, verse 15. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked him the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Now, when you read this, it raises some questions in your mind, doesn't it? So what's up with Jesus asking him three times in a row the same question? And, you know, what's Jesus saying here? Feed or care for my sheep. How many times... Did Peter deny Jesus? Three. I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus says to Peter three times here, do you love me? Jesus is making a point. He's restoring Peter. He's giving Peter the opportunity to respond three times. I'm not even sure Peter got it at that moment, but later on, I bet when he looked back, He got it. He was hurt that Jesus kept repeating the question. But later on, Peter realized that Jesus was saying, Peter, remember how you denied that you even knew me? Not once, not twice, but three times. 
That's behind us now. That's in the past. You are not defined by your past. You are forgiven. Now, our English Bible doesn't point this out, but this was originally written in Greek. And in the Greek language, there was more than one word for love. There were several words for love, which are more um, narrow in their meaning than our word for love in English. And in the conversation between Jesus and Peter, two different words for love end up getting used. One word is agape. Maybe you've heard of that. It's a Greek word for love, and it's a self-sacrificial kind of love that essentially says, I would die for you. There's another Greek word, phileo. It means love too, but it means I love you like a brother. And it's not that one is better than the other. They're just different from each other. The first time Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? He uses the word agape. A love that says, I'll die for you. Peter responds the first time by saying, Lord, you know I phileo you. I love you like a brother. Honestly, I think Peter's just being really honest, transparent, and open. He's saying, Lord, I blew it big time. I had my opportunity to show you agape love and die for you, and I didn't. So I can't say that even though I might want to. So I'm going to give you what I got. I'll give you my best. I'll, I'll love you like a brother. Jesus comes back to Peter a second time and says, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter responds the second time by saying, I phileo you. So a third time Jesus says, this time though, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you phileo me? And Peter replies, I phileo you. And I think the reason Jesus changed the word and used phileo the third time is because he's saying to Peter, it's okay. You give me the best you have, and I'm okay with that. Now, some of you may be holding back from God because you feel inadequate or you feel guilt over something that's happened in your past. And you may not think you can, but Jesus is ready for you to move on. Like with Peter, he's saying, give me what you got. Give me the best you have. It's okay. Take your next step. I love you. You are forgiven. You know, nowadays with video games, there's a reset button. And if the game isn't going the way you want it to, you just hit the reset button and start over. Wouldn't it be nice if life worked that way at times? If life just had a reset button. In golf, the term we use for that is mulligan. I don't know if you're a golfer or not, but golf can be the most frustrating game in the world. You can stand on the tee, you can swing and you can shank it off into the woods or the trees. Or you can take a full swing and the ball dribbles off the tee and goes 10 feet. So what do you do? Well, that's why golf has mulligans. You can just say to your buddies, you can't do this in a tournament or if it's official, but if you're out playing with your buddies and they let you, maybe you can say, hey, I'm going to take a mulligan on that one. And all you do is you tee up another ball 
and you hit it again, and you f- completely forget about that first shot. You don't re- record it on the scorecard. It's forgotten. It's gone. Now, wouldn't it be nice if at times we could just take a mulligan in life? You say to your spouse, I expect that out of the boys, but not out of you. And Janet replies, hey, Jerry, why don't you just take a mulligan on that one? So we just completely forget about the comment. You get ticked off at someone in traffic. They make some sort of gesture at you, so you respond in kind. You let them know that you think they're number one, too. (laughs) So both of you just roll down your windows and you say to each other, hey, let's just take a mulligan. And you smile and drive off, you know. You hear a really bad sermon, but the pastor says as he closes the sermon, everybody, I'm taking a mulligan today. And everybody just smiles and goes off and has a good day. And Jesus is saying to Peter, take a mulligan. I still love you, and I still want to use you. Feed my sheep. And by saying feed my sheep, he's saying, I want to give you new purpose in life. You can go out and serve me. So what's holding you back? What's holding you from taking that step forward? Maybe to serve? To get baptized? From joining a small group? from opening yourself up to God and developing a close relationship with Him, from sharing your faith. Maybe it's because you don't feel worthy for what you've done. I have good news for you. You can put it behind you. How do you move forward when you feel like you've blown it? Let me leave you with three things to do. Here's the first. Understand that God has forgiven you. You think you've blown it too badly for God to forgive you too many times? You don't deserve it? I honestly doubt that it's worse than what Peter did. And he found forgiveness. There are so many verses in the Bible that promise God's forgiveness. One of my favorites is Psalm 103.12. It says, He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Think about that. How far is the east from the west? North and south have finite points, don't they? Not east and west. I love that analogy. Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins. That paid the price for our sins. So God the Father can forgive us. That's His promise. Second, focus on what you know to be true. After you understand that God has forgiven you, you will need constant reminders of the truth. Satan wants you to live feeling defeated. He's going to remind you of your past, of your failures. So you have to focus on what you know to be true. We've all sinned. We all have regrets. We all wish we could take some mulligans in life. But meditate on the forgiveness you have in God through what Jesus has done for you. God has removed your sins as far as the east is from the West. He does not want you to live with regret and feeling like a failure because it'll hold you back. It'll affect your relationship first with him and with others as well. He wants to restore you and give you a fresh start. And finally, look to the future. Find purpose, in other words. That's what Jesus did with Peter. He said, feed my sheep. In other words, do what I've called you to do, Peter. 
The past is the past. Living in the past steals your joy in the present and keeps you from experiencing your future. Find purpose and meaning by serving God and others.